We just heard the familiar story of the Samaritan woman at the well with Jesus. And I want to confess to you, I'm not sure I get this story. I mean, I get the living water part. And I understand that John, John is, is writing uh, and, uh, and using Jesus' words to really redefine what faithfulness looks like, to redefine what, uh, what being a child of God looks like, and redefining the uh, acquiring, reacquiring all of the traditions from the Jewish tradition uh, and reacquiring them for the Christian faith. And in this, in this uh, moment... Uh, John is uh, using this story to, to say that Jerusalem is no longer the only spot where people can worship. But a time is coming and a time has come when those who worship God will worship God in spirit and in truth uh, wherever they worship. So here we see John, John's agenda of, of pulling uh, all those traditions from the Jewish tradition away from where they were located in Jerusalem and into the hearts of those who seek God through Christ. I get that part. And I get the part that, you know, Jesus comes to bring us into a relationship with God that feeds our soul and and quenches our thirst in a way that nothing else in the world can. But what what I guess I don't get here is, here's this story about, Jesus having this conversation with this woman and he tells her that he knows she is living with a man who's not her husband and somehow that is life transforming for her. Is this such an incredible insight? I get the feeling as I read it that everyone knew she was living with someone who was not her husband. And as I read this story, I feel there's something missing here. There's something we don't quite get. And it has to do with with who is this woman? Who is she? And what does she find so compelling about this insight Jesus offers her? And so I wonder, what do we know about this woman? She's a Samaritan. We know she's a Samaritan. Uh, What are, you know, Samaritans and Jews have a rather antagonistic relationship. It's kind of like American Baptists and Southern Baptists sometimes. You know, they're really closely related, but somehow they don't quite always get along very well. Uh, but it was even more so in this day and age between the Samaritans. And, you know, I've looked through history to try and figure out why there is this animosity there. And it depends on who you ask. If you ask the Samaritans who they are, are descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh, who are Joseph's children, who who received uh, a tribe of their own after Joseph was gone. And they are descendants from them, and they were spared the exile when the Jews were brought into exile by the Assyrians, and, and they call themselves Israelites. They don't call themselves Samaritans. And according to Josephus, when, uh, when Alexander the Great rolled through town uh, and asked the Samaritans, who are you? They said, we are, we are Israelites. We are Hebrew people. We are Jews. So they claim this to themselves. Now, according to the Jews in, his story, in history, the Samaritans were colonists brought in from all over the Assyrian Empire to colonize Palestine. They were illegal immigrants who came in and, and messed up the place. And they had this facade of Jewish religion 
that comes from the teachings of captive Israelites, but they don't quite really get it. They're not doing, there's several things they do that, that rub the Jews of the time the wrong way. The, the Pharisees didn't like the fact that they didn't uh, marry their, you know, when someone died, they didn't marry their brother and, and things like that. Little details like that really bothered them. So at one point, Samaritans became untouchable. If you were a good Pharisaic Jew, you did not talk to a Samaritan, you didn't touch a Samaritan, you didn't go near the Samaritans, you, you did business with them, you know, you took their money, but you didn't, uh, you didn't really interact with them in a, in a level way. They were, they were other people. They were the others. So she was a Samaritan. Uh, the mountain that they talk about here is Mount Gerizim. And at, at the base of that is the Samaritan capital, uh, Shechem. Here's, I just forgot to bring this up. And here, the, the, so when they're talking about, you say we should worship in Jerusalem, but we've always worshipped on this mountain. It's this Mount Gerizim. And uh, they used to worship there. They, they had their own version of the Mosaic laws that came down. And they also had their own temple at one time there that they worshipped in. So you can see why there would be this disagreement because for the Jewish people at the time, Jerusalem, Jerusalem was where it was going to be. So we can, we can see that there's this, she's a Samaritan and so it's, it's not surprising given that history that she asks, why are you talking to me? Uh, you a Jew, me a Samaritan woman. Uh, we can surmise from the story that she was likely not well thought of in the village. She was, she was a little shunned by her peers. And the reason we know that is because there were, there were two times a day when women went to the well. And it was always women, by the way, that went to the well and hauled the water back and forth. I won't get into that. But, uh, but anyway, there were two times during the day. There was once in the morning before it got too hot and once in the evening when it just started to cool down. And here she was, and the, John records that it was at noon, the hottest time of the day. No one went out at noon unless they were up to no good, and, or unless they weren't welcome any other time. So here she was, alone. There's another thing. Women always traveled in packs uh, for protection and for camaraderie. And here she was, alone, uh, at noon, at the well, talking to a man. Uh, and some have suggested, some of the commentaries I read suggest that maybe she was even a prostitute thinking that Jesus was there for business and she was maybe putting her shingle out there at the, at the well. And so when Jesus asked for a drink, she may have thought he was asking for something else. So, uh, there's some of that going on, which makes it an interesting story too. But at any rate, we can tell that she's not... She's not doing the normal things in society, and she's probably not well thought of in her village. She's probably one of those people everyone gossiped about, and one of those people that, if you were a good person, you didn't really interact with. We can tell from this story that she had some man trouble. And what is this business about five husbands? I've never quite understood this. May, and, uh, you know, the, it's not real clear. Maybe they all died. Maybe she had a husband and had to marry another one because I got to tell you unless you in first century Palestine unless you are attached to a man as a woman you have absolutely no resource you have absolutely no standing in the community and you have absolutely no way to survive the only other option is prostitution 
So either you are attached to some man, a, a parent, a child, or a husband, or you are nothing. And so, you know, it's not surprising that she, if she was without a husband, she went and quickly found one. So there's this business about five husbands. Maybe they all died and maybe she was marrying brothers or something. Or maybe they had all left. You know, women weren't allowed to divorce men at that time, but men could divorce women all day long. All they had to say is, you know what, I'm done with you. Uh, We're divorced. And they could change the locks and send them on their way. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe she had been kicked out five times. Maybe what Jesus means when he says you've had five husbands and the one you're with right now is not a husband, maybe he means that you get around. It's clear that you you have known a lot of men. And, uh, you know, it's probably uh, that you get around a lot. And that's an interesting insight into her life. And again, some have suggested that maybe she was a prostitute and that the man she was working with was someone that she was living with was someone who was exploiting her in that way and uh, a pimp, if you will. So we can see that she was having some man trouble. And along comes Jesus. And what is it she felt, I wonder, as Jesus and her had this conversation? She asked Jesus for this living water. Lord, give me this living water so that I might not thirst again, and so that I can stop going back and forth every day, fetching this water. I mean, you can tell she's tired of grabbing water back and forth. And once again, like so many in the Bible, she doesn't get that it's a metaphor, living water. (laughs) She doesn't get the nuance of that. And Jesus responds by asking her, Bring me your husband. Go bring your husband to me. And for some reason, this is the part I don't get. For some reason, this one statement, Jesus seems to dig deep into the recesses of her life and pull out this one most haunting aspect. I have no husband, she says. And I wonder if she's trying to, is she trying to change the subject? I wonder if she's hurt by this probing question. I wonder if this is a touchy subject that makes her want to shut down. But Jesus drives right into it. Oh yes, true that. You have no husband. You, in fact, have had five husbands. And the man you're living with right now is not your husband. I wonder how he said this. Was he offering sympathy? I know you've had difficulties and that the men in your life have hurt you and left you. Was he scolding? Oh yes, woman, I'm aware that you have no husband. Shame on you. Well, the one you're shacking up with now isn't your husband, you adulterous woman. Was he being clever? Oh, it is true what you say. You are without a husband, for I know the one you are with is not your husband either. Ta-da! I don't think so. Was it a question? You've had so many men in your life, haven't you? And you are with someone you're not married to now, aren't you? 
I don't know. Uh, I don't know what made this such a life-changing exchange. But one thing is clear. Jesus got her. Jesus got her. Jesus understood her in a way no one ever had before. Jesus understood her in a way she longed to be understood. In a way she dreamed of being understood. In just that one few moments, it was as if finally, 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 the painting of her soul made sense to someone. And the pain deep within was shared in that moment. And it was as if she was washed with water and drew that water into herself and she will never be thirsty again because Jesus understood who she was and what she was about. He had unlocked something inside of her that suddenly made her grasp the living water that he was talking about. I got to tell you, if you're someone who feels like they are misunderstood or not understood much of the time, you know what a powerful gift it is to be finally understood. Someone who gets me. What a gift that is. And I got to say, for most of us, this takes work. You know, sometimes, sometimes I get Robin. But, well, you know, there's a lot of times I don't get Robin. And I've learned a long time ago, it doesn't always have to make sense, <laughs> right, in a relationship. Sometimes I get Robin, sometimes I don't. That's why I don't buy her clothes, right? I don't, I don't even go down that road because I don't always understand how that works or make sense of it. The spiritual practice of understanding is a real gift that we can offer one another and the world around us. Understanding one another takes time. I, gotta, I would like to point out that this conversation between the Samaritan woman and Jesus is the longest recorded conversation in the book of John. It is the longest exchange Jesus has with anyone, with this woman of ill repute. The longest conversation. Understanding takes some time and commitment. And understanding means listening deeply. Jesus heard the weariness in her voice as she said, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst again and that I may not keep coming to this well day in and day out. Jesus, Jesus heard the weariness and sought to really put himself in her shoes. What must that be like for you? I think Jesus was saying. There's a book here that I, I read a long time ago by Jim Henderson, a guy in Seattle, uh, about evangelism. It's called AKA Lost. And I love, I love this book because he, he suggests that evangelism is, evangelism is not about converting people or even bringing people to Christ, but it is about listening and understanding and giving the gift of attention. And he suggests doing these ordinary attempts at reaching people. 
Ordinary attempts are practices any of us can do without prior training or special expertise. They are rela- th- I like this one. They are relational acts of kindness. Free attention giveaways. And they include such as the following. Asking someone, how are you? And then actually listening to how they are. <laughs> Praying for, for people behind their backs without their even knowing about it. Asking a tip-sensitive server in a restaurant about his or her life outside of work. That's a good one. As a waiter, that was that's nice, as long as I'm not busy, right? Listening to someone. Do this to almost anyone, and that person will think you're really cool. <laughs> Give away a little money. Give away a little time. He suggests that, that we seek out, that, that people are so starved for attention, that just giving a little bit of attention to someone goes miles and is so counter to the norm of how our society works that it strikes them as strange (laughs) and unusual. And it is, after all, I believe what Jesus calls us to in this text today. Understanding takes honesty and vulnerability. There was some truth thrown out in this little conversation they had today in this story she could have denied it she could have covered it up she could have made excuses but instead she stopped and she thought about it she stopped and she said you know what i'm willing i'm willing to let him see what's going on i'm willing to be vulnerable for a moment and be honest for a moment And she was compelled to not resist this insight, this embarrassing insight, this this maybe shame insight into her life. And that made her very vulnerable to Jesus. When, When our guard is always up, no one can really get in. And maybe you save yourself from pain, but you also don't really get the understanding that Jesus seems to be talking about today. I dare say even Jesus struggles to know us when we are so guarded. But vulnerability based on trust allows us to be understood and to understand. Vulnerability that says, you know what, I trust you and I want you to know me and I want to know you. It's an incredible gift, and i got to say, it's an important component of what it means to be a faith community. And I dare say, if we look through our history and see all the points at which we struggled to be together, a lot of it boils down to not feeling understood and not wanting to understand each other. The bottom line is understanding one another takes work. And as we see here, there is compassion in Jesus' understanding. No condemnation in Jesus here. Only compassion. Go and get your husband. I have no husband. It's true, sinner! Get away from me! He doesn't do that. He says, I know that. I know that to be true. And then he says, and you know what? I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for. Here's another thing. This is the first time Jesus in John 
says to anyone that he is the Messiah. And he reveals it to this woman of sketchy reputation in Samaria. Understanding one another takes work. And what Jesus extends to this woman can be one of our greatest strengths as a church. To offer the gift of understanding is to emulate one of the most important things Jesus brought to us at a time when it is very much needed in the world, in a world that is thirsting to be understood. Let us pray. Loving God, God who knows us better than we know ourselves, who has numbered even the hairs on our head, who has known us since the womb, we thank you for the story of this precious woman who brought understanding to a whole town after an encounter with Jesus, who was received even even though she was not someone people sought out except Jesus. And that was life transformation. Being understood changed her life. May we seek to change lives through seeking to understand, to know deeply, and to have extraordinary compassion for the world around us and for our dear family here in this church. In the powerful name of Christ we pray. Amen.